0: Have you ever wondered what it is about reaching for our dreams that feels so hard and requires so much of our own healing? Are you curious about how moving towards your own creativity might heal what's making you feel stuck? Well, that is why we made this show. I'll be having conversations with emotional health experts, as well as artists, musicians, and creatives, all with the intention of resourcing and inspiring you to uncover your true creative self. I'm Courtney Lancaster, and this is the Heal Create Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Heal Create Podcast. I am your host, Courtney Lancaster, and today I am going to be giving you guys kind of an overview of my personal healing journey. And the way that we decided to do that was by having a conversation with my brilliant and wonderful Mm -hmm. assistant and podcast producer, Emily Smith. Emily, welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course. Absolutely. I think it was your idea to do it this way. We had talked about having having you on the podcast more. Um, Emily has worked with me for a co- at least oh, a couple years. Yeah, it's yeah. coming up two years. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, and I just absolutely adore her, but she also has has similar interests in everything that I am pursuing and also is a life consultant herself, also Compassion Method trained, and we'll include how to contact her and how to find her in the show notes. But we had talked about having you more on the podcast, and the first idea you had was, why don't we do an episode where I can just kind of interview you about your own healing journey? Yeah. And so that's what we decided to do. Yeah, am I leaving anything out? No, I think you're, that's I think that's I got it. here. Yeah. If any of you guys have followed me for any amount of time, you know that I um, am really passionate about, I think in a nutshell, offering hope to those who have gone through any kind of intense um, emotional healing journey, grief transitions, because I myself have been there and because it completely blindsided me. And so walking over the last eight years um, and learning and making mistakes and doing all of that stuff. And I don't know, that's really just given me a passion and also a lot of relatable clarity around what it actually looks like to walk through this. So um, with that being said, I will hand it over to you and be open to the questions. Yeah. So I know
1: we've mentioned or you've mentioned on this podcast before a little bit about how this all started for you. And that was through your season of having intense panic attacks. It was after Asher was born, right?
0: Yes. yes. Yeah. After my second born. <laughs> yeah. Um, my second son was born about three months after I woke up in the middle of the night mm-hmm. with intense panic attacks.
1: Yeah. Like out of the blue. That had never happened before and you kind of just were faced with this experience that you had no grid for. Is that right? Like Mm -hmm. you kind of, Mm -hmm. you had no idea what was happening.
0: Yes. I had no idea what was happening and now having worked with clients, I know that it's different for everyone and a lot of people kind of come to the healing journey or like pursuing therapy or getting support or trying to understand what's going on with them because maybe they have struggled with anxiety their entire lives, or maybe they had, they were, yeah. their depression just got so bad that they couldn't, you know, go on any longer without getting help. My situation wasn't like that at all. I, which honestly just really shows <laughs> a lack of self-awareness up to that point, because there, in mm-hmm. hindsight are so many flags that I couldn't see, but Up to that point, I was like sailing. I was, I had plans. I was doing things. I was like, uh, there were a lot of like instability signs that I missed and I just kept going and going and going. And Mm -hmm. then three months postpartum with Asher, I was at a movie with my best friends. I remember because it was like the first night that I was going to go out with my friends after, you know, being in the baby trenches. And, um, it was interesting because it was a movie where the mom was going to pass away and she was like telling the dad what to do, like giving her her last advice on like how to take care of the baby. And I remember, uh, just a, you know, trigger warning for anyone listening, just describing panic attack symptoms, feeling that like intense, um feeling of like my heart was racing and i all of a sudden felt like i have to stand up right now and my thoughts started you know speeding i felt like i was sweating i was like mm. had no idea what was happening and i went into the bathroom at the movie theater and i was googling like what is a panic attack because i had no idea but i i was panicking <laughs> so that's <laughs> yeah. what I was, I was literally panicking mm. so that led i could not calm my body down. And I ended up going into the um, emergency room the next night. And they basically just said, yeah, this is just kind of postpartum and um, didn't really give me a lot to work with, asked me questions, checked me out and was like, you know, just need more sleep. Yeah, And that was really the beginning of like the journey. And that was eight and a half years ago.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So What was the first support you received after that time? Like, what did it look like for you? You know, after you go to the ER and you have this experience that kind of shakes your world, where mm-hmm. did you go first for the support yeah. that
0: you needed? I started with a cognitive behavioral therapist, yeah, um, a Christian cognitive behavioral therapist, because at the time that was imperative that I made sure that I was with a Christian, and, um. there's there's nothing wrong with that. There's like, that's, you know, having a similar background and context with, with somebody can be immensely valuable. It it can also bring a lot of safety to your system. But, um, this is a particularly religious cognitive behavioral therapist and had me like doing a lot of like asking Jesus to forgive me. And anyways, it was a few months of like basically getting up back in control, which now I can see was me like sort of putting everything back down, shoving everything back down. Yeah. And, um, I did get on antidepressant, anti-anxiety medication for, I think, like, six months. Okay. And I just tried to pretend that it never happened. (laughs) I just was like... Yeah. You know, uh, I could always sort of feel it under the surface and was kind of managing that, like, ocean. Like, you know, you hold, you, like, kind of hold things back. And, um... Yeah, I could. I was just like trying to manage that and then pretend it never happened, and that was not sustainable. But I took a break mm. from from getting any kind of support for a couple of years and coped in various ways. Yeah, you know, yeah. Mm. Yes. sounds like that was the safest thing to do at that point. Almost like
1: it actually wasn't mm. safe for you to go through the process of healing because you didn't yet have the support there that you really needed to be able to like be with all of those really scared parts yet.
0: Yeah. It's a really great perspective. I don't know that I've ever thought about it like that, but I think you're exactly right. It was the safest thing that I could have done at the time. Mm. And I threw myself into ministry and worship leading. I was a worship leader at a big church, and I um, and I loved it, and I still love that. There's nothing like necessarily wrong with that. But even just you saying that right now, I think there's probably a greater invitation for compassion on that girl who went through that because, mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of ways to cope. Worship leading is not <laughs> the worst way. Um, but there were other decisions that I made, other things that happened as well that were not were not healthy and yeah. didn't serve me long term. But at the time, yeah, it was, it was totally, totally the safest th- option that I had. Yeah. And so... When you moved to Northern
1: California, and that was when everything sort of unraveled a little bit more in in a new way. At that point, I guess, how, how did you know when it was time to get help again? And how did you know who to
0: get help from? So 2017, I moved to Northern California, and I was initially really excited. And then I absolutely fell apart. I mean, I think we I'll just say what probably everyone's thinking. The shit hit the fan and <laughs> it was truly a nightmare. I, mm. for lots of reasons, it even, since it's my story, I can tell the details. This is not like everybody doesn't need to know all of these tiny details, but I had lived in the same place my entire life up to that point. I had lived in my hometown for yeah. 33 years and then I moved to this new place. So Now I know how huge of a deal it is on your body to move. Yeah. um, To move away from your family, which was a rite of passage I hadn't gone through when I was 18. Um, To pursue your own dreams is like uh, potentially very tumultuous for your nervous system. You're completely taking yourself out of familiarity. Mm. But I had no context for that. Combined with all of the stuff that was undealt with prior, a couple years prior, And it was just so overwhelming to my nervous system. So I was experiencing, like, such extreme anxiety, Mm. such intrusive thoughts. I mean, that's thoughts that scared me. I could not figure out what was happening. And then um, I – right when I went there, I was – on a stage to be a worship leader, which I did love, but again, so overwhelming to my nervous system. And I would just override my nervous system. Um, I think what's important, it feels like an important part of my story is understanding like I was in a context where everything negative that was happening to you was an outside enemy force. It's one of my least favorite things about my evangelical history is that So much of um, normal emotional processes were um, demonized, literally demonized. Mm -hmm. This is like a literal demon of anxiety. Um, Or, you know, an enemy that's trying to take your purpose. And so I... I think that what that did for me and what I've seen that do for so many people is fight against it. And we talk about warfare so much in that context and really what those experiences are, are opportunities for deep befriending and compassion within Mm -hmm. ourselves, young parts of us. Like this is not, this is like there's settled science around what's, what's happening in that. And so I kept pushing through because I thought I was supposed to. I thought it was making me stronger somehow. Yeah. But it reached a point um in like October where I I remember just staring into the microphone during a rehearsal sometime and I just was like I think I'm dying and I just like started sobbing. Mm. And the head of the school came up to me and was like, "Okay, so you're not okay." And that's okay. It's okay to not be okay, but like, you're not okay. So how can we support you? What do you need? And so for me, I met with the cognitive behavioral therapist. I met with the spiritual transformation lady. And then I met with Laura and Laura immediately put me at ease. I had been in so much stress up to that point that I remember feeling so much relief in Mm -hmm. my first session with her. And it was really because she just taught me how to be okay with not being okay. She helped me understand what a trigger was for the first time and Mm -hmm. how what I was experiencing showed unresolved trauma and a lack of self-compassion and a lack of sense of uh, worthiness, like low or high shame. Yeah. And so... That was the beginning of, like, the real healing journey that Mm. I went through. Um, Everything up to that point was a lot of coping. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And that was about, yeah, six years ago. Yeah, Yeah. what you
1: said about anxiety being a demon or, like, a spiritual thing that's on the outside, that in itself, Mm -hmm. like, keeps you – in so much self-protection you're in sympathetic every day because you're like what do I have to fight today to make it through or to be a good Christian or you know make God be happy with me and I think sometimes we don't say those things or we wouldn't say we believe those things but that's what's happening like under the surface when you're like I'm just gonna pray it away I'm just gonna pray or I'm just gonna worship and it's gonna be fine (laughs) and then Yeah, it never actually is with those parts that feel so scared that they're being attacked or, like,
0: something terrible is
1: happening, you know?
0: Yeah, and, like, that's – yes, you're absolutely right. And that's something that I think I wish more people understood in that context um, in the evangelical world is when you experience experience something painful or terrible – Anytime you're triggered, anytime you experience anxiety, depression, fear, intrusive thoughts, it's a young part of you, which just means that the person that you were when that happened wasn't able to actually process and feel safe to um, resolve that. Yeah, in that time and gets frozen in time so to speak Mm. in your in your psyche and actual like neurocircuitry like it's it's like an open file on a computer and that is what happens how that manifests later in your adult life is in anxiety when when something reminds you in the present of something that happened back then that your younger self didn't know how to make sense of or process or feel safe afterwards then that file is open again. That younger part of you, quote unquote, comes yeah. into the present moment, takes, I mean, takes over your body is kind of a dramatic way to say it, but it's kind of, it It does feel like that. Yeah, like you are does. all of a sudden, right? And so the things that little kids are afraid of, they do feel like demonic attack. They do feel, yeah. you know, like terrible, scary, scary monsters. But in therapy, in I mean, a lot of, like, a line in cognitive behavior, behavioral therapy that I remember hearing was if it's hysterical it's historical. So if it's a big giant reaction, mm. I mean the bigger the trigger the younger you are, I think that's how Laura Duncan says yeah. it. And um when those big big triggers come up in you know really dark scary thoughts, really dark heavy feelings, that is not the time to fight because what your body is craving in those moments more than anything is Deep, deep safety. Yeah. Not um, fighting, not fighting off, not Mm -hmm. warring. And so what that does to your nervous system and your experience is it adds to the little kid's level of fear. It adds on top of that an adult fear and terror, which just tells your nervous system, okay, this person is in active danger. We need to shut her down as much as possible. I think what was interesting about it, though, is that when I was actually in it and I did think this is spiritual warfare and I do need to fight this off, there is like a a moment where you do feel relief. Yes, you do. And then it comes back even stronger. Yeah. And you're stuck in that cycle then. You are. And then it persists. Mm. And then you think that you either aren't fighting hard enough or this outside force is stronger than you are nothing heals and softens more than making friends with those scary scary feelings inside and sometimes yeah. we need a lot of support to do that mm. especially if we've been told for years that they're demons your nervous system is already primed to um, protect you against your feelings if you have been told that you know there are a lot of there's a lot of demonic activity out for you
1: so yeah, yeah. sounds like you had to do a lot of unlearning there,
0: yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I really did. I think that's a big part of the healing journey is is that unlearning? Yeah. So after you
1: met with Laura and you were mm-hmm. working with Her, what happened next for the next couple yeah. of years there in reading?
0: Yeah. Working with Laura Duncan changed my life. She taught me, I always joke about this, but she taught me self-compassion from scratch. She's just an amazing, calm presence and just such a wonderful like, uh, teacher of self-compassion. And so I was her client for a couple of years um, and then I transitioned into, I interned for her and then I worked with her. And She offered me such an amazing foundation, but I found that there were things that were coming up that were, she would admit, outside of her scope. I felt a little bit exasperated after doing so much deep dive work around this that I was having really, really big things come up. In hindsight, again, what I know is that I had actually built capacity to deal with and remember some of the really deep things that had happened to me. Mm. And, you know, we definitely don't need to be worried about suppressed memories repressed memories because the more that you build safety and if you know and you have support they come up and they come up for your own healing yeah not everyone has terrible repressed memories um but if they do happen to come up it's because your body's trying to resolve it not because you're gonna die but it kind of can feel like that (laughs) when you're in it. Yeah. So what I was discovering was my need for a trauma therapist, a real, like um, somebody that could actually help me. And I found somebody, her name is Sarah Baldwin, who's amazing, but who specializes in attachment. And that was a piece that I really need. I needed somebody to anchor to and to mirror back to me what I was needing with, you know, a lot of love and care. She's a, if you Again, Sarah Baldwin on Instagram. She's an incredibly gentle person. But for a yeah. few years, she really helped me um, go into some of the really hard places that I had been holding, which did include sexual abuse as a child and some different incredibly painful things that I did not know how to face on my own. And that was vital for for me mm. um, in order to heal Yeah, and walk towards the things that I was moving towards. The thing with Sarah and my time with Sarah was that's when I really started to understand and learn about the authentic self. Because when you have so much trauma and when you have so much to process... It's so easy to get caught in this, like, stage of healing Mm. and stage of, like, really trying to figure it out, really trying to get all of the resources. I had spent, like, an entire year in there pretty much, like, completely hidden and so confused about what I was supposed to do Mm. and what I even wanted to do. I remember listening to this one podcast with the author of this book. It was called A Stroke of Genius Um, I'm going to have to look up her name. We'll include it in the show notes. Yeah. (laughs) She did a Ted talk where she basically talked about how she had a stroke that rendered her completely. Um, she couldn't communicate. She couldn't move anything. I remember she was, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. she was like in a bed, couldn't do anything. And it shut down all these parts of her brain, except the part of her that was just joyfully aware. And so, Oh, and they thought, well, that's her life. And over, I think it was the course of nine years, she like completely reconstructed her, her ability to do everything. And now she writes books and talks and stuff. But what she discovered was she's like in my conscious creation of like who I wanted to be. I recognized because her memory, like everything that she was before had been wiped out. And so as it all came back la- online, she had a choice about what about who she wanted to be and who she didn't want to be. Hmm. And that was kind of how I felt about trauma. Like it when it came to the surface, it kind of wiped away everything that I thought I was supposed to be doing, but in a way that was actually really empowering because from this point I can create I can create the life that I want. I can create the beliefs that are actually supportive and not built out of shame and yeah. not built out of um, terror, but actually are really empowering beliefs. And I just remember there was like a, a real pivot when I learned that I had the ability to build a life based on health and based on like what really lit me up. And Sarah told me one day we were talking about like Uh, your dreams, like the things that you dream about doing. And she kept asking me and I'm like, well, how do I really know? Like what's, what dreams are my ego and based out of trauma and what do I really want? And how do I, and she basically taught me about trusting what lights you up. Mm -hmm. You can trust what lights you up. And if I look back over my entire childhood, what's lit me up is exactly the same as when I was five years old. It's singing, it's connection, it's being feminine, it's connecting with people. It's always been the same. But she said, Dreaming is imperative for healing. And that, I feel like I can remember exactly how she said it. Mm. I can remember how she looked at me when she said it. And I remember such a, like, epic click in my brain. Yeah. Like, of course, (laughs) dreaming is imperative for healing. Like, you've got to give your nervous system somewhere to go. Yeah. Somewhere new to go. My nervous system had only been circling around, like, What's dangerous? What's going to come up next? What do I have to heal next? Where do I want to go? And that shifted everything for me. It was such a pivot point in my life of the first steps of me really getting out of that hole yeah. was paying attention to my dreams, paying attention to what inspired me and just taking baby steps towards that thing. Yeah. So that was, you know, for the last few years of, of working on that and my everything that's come out of that my work and the way that I am with my kids and my body and my friends have all really been slowly being rebuilt because of everything that I went through but then this this shift of recognizing how how powerful I am and being able to create a healthy and beautiful life
1: yeah oh it's just so good Sarah's messaging is so hopeful that like yeah you don't have to stay stuck in the trauma vortex and just like only yeah. just be in this like healing bubble that feels so small. <laughs> it's like, totally. oh wait, I know. there's so much more. There's so much more to to discover and to do beyond that.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. there's so much more, and I also feel like so many of the healing accounts on Instagram, which I am a huge. I'm a social media fan. I think it's an amazing tool Mm -hmm. for connection, for self-expression, for learning. If you can curate your Instagram in a supportive way, I think it's excellent. But there are so many people out there and books and, you know, teachers and accounts that have this sort of need to point out what's wrong with people in order to point out what they need instead. Yeah. And I think Sarah taught me a way. To inspire people into their healing, to inspire people to mm-hmm. move forward out of like, you're not going to believe how good it's going to get. Yeah. And that was really something that resonated with me so deeply. I felt really burned by a lot of the the teachings out there that were, I mean, probably well intentioned, but trying to show me how jacked up my nervous system was, trying to show me how how, you know, effed up my religion was and like all of these things that for a moment did get me like, yeah, in my justice, you know, (laughs) but like, yeah, this isn't right. Or like in my, I need to fix myself kind of place. But really it's like when you recognize, oh, it actually gets to be, to get better and better and better. And when you believe that it doesn't necessarily mean that you're immune to the pain of life, but it means that you're not, um, not, Defined by the pain of life and it doesn't get in the way of you building the beautiful life that you're here to build. Mm. I also
1: remember kind of getting to a point where I was like, why are all these accounts that I'm following just telling me how broken I am? And I don't think that's the the point, but the messaging underneath it is almost dysregulating. Like it doesn't feel like it's yeah. coming from a ventral place of like everything's actually going to be really good and I know yeah. why it can be like that if yeah. that makes sense. When we've been in so much pain and trauma that can feel so safe and normal that we almost forget that like there's goodness out there and that we can choose to look at the supportive messaging and actually build our life and even our healing journey around the things that feel really nourishing instead of like oh no I have to dive into all of this pain and like go back to all of these memories because it can feel like that sometimes like you start on the journey and then you're like every box gets opened and you're like which one do I go to first and like it can feel so overwhelming but yeah I know we've talked about this like how do you make it so that you anchor more to the goodness and true self, and like yeah. the hope, and that you get to create your life, which is like your message, really, with this podcast totally. and everything that you're doing. Yeah. Wait, what do you say? Your healing requires your
0: dreams, and your dreams, your require- dreams will always require your healing. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> your healing needs your dreams in order to unfold. Yeah. Yeah. I had a um. You said that all so well, and I agree. And I I had this client that was like, I just. I get discouraged by like how much work I have to do. Mm. And I was like, I mean, I get that so much. Yeah. But I was like, let's reframe that. And what if there are levels of joy that you can't even imagine? Mm. Every time you heal something, there is a greater level of joy. In my context, um, my you know spiritual context, the Bible says, we go from glory to glory. Yeah. And I think about that all the time. That is what that is. Like the more yeah. we we heal, you know, when we get triggered, when things come up, it's just showing us the possibility for increasing our capacity for more joy and more goodness. Which is why when you know you have a big trauma history, when you know that you really are struggling and you have stuff that's really painful. If you can connect to the dream on the other side, what does Jesus say for the joy set before you? It's Man, I'm so, I'm like so emotional talking. It's so worth it. (laughs) Like, what else are we here to do? What else are we going to do? So it's not looking at how broken we are. It's looking at what's in between me and the deepest connection to joy and to God, and to myself, and others that I can possibly experience on this earth. Yeah. I didn't expect to cry so much today. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's
1: so beautiful when you can actually let that be so true. It's not just a message that you've been told, and you're, like, repeating it over and over. It's so deep inside of you that, like, when you share it, it carries it carries something. There's like substance to yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. It absolutely does.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: What was it like from that moment then moving forward into sort of that new phase of healing of like, I'm actually yeah. creating because I know from my experience that didn't happen overnight and it wasn't like, this is easy now. And I'm just, you know, on this new path.
0: How, how was that for you? Yeah totally. It was I mean super easy. <laughs> Just kidding. Um well from that point that was a few years back it was 2019 maybe I was Sarah and I had been talking about and I was really I was really understanding, you know, the connection between like your healing and your true self and creating and um I was reading a book by Rachel Hollis, who I know is actually now kind of polarizing individual, but at the time it was just a book that, I don't know, somebody recommended to me. It was called Girl, Stop Apologizing. (laughs) (laughs) And she had you do this practice where she's like, imagine what you would love to say is true about your life 10 years from now. What are 10 things that you would love to say are true about your life 10 years from now? Did I make you read that book? No, but you asked me to do that exercise okay yeah yeah back in the day yeah <laughs> so um that was an incredibly powerful uh exercise for me yeah. I didn't realize how much I had been I think waiting on God because of my my history yeah to tell me what to do with my life and like is there peace on this and is is this his will but not realizing like a good father would do like what sounds exciting to you what lights you up you know waking up every morning with you and being like what do you want to build today what do you want to create what do you want to draw (laughs) and so that I felt like that was God putting so much um power and faith in me and showing me how much faith he had in me as as a child of God to create my life and so I I started writing down like 10 things that I would love to say are true in 10 years and you know what they haven't changed at all Mm from was that four years ago they haven't changed at all yeah. and that is the most powerful thing to me is that our nervous system wants to make us think i don't really know what i want i don't really know how to do this yeah. and you do and that's always a trick that i like to use with clients i think i learned it from a teacher her name is amanda francis but she would always say okay well what if you did know <sighs> yeah which you kind, kind of bypasses so the like
1: anytime <laughs> yeah <laughs>
0: What if you did know? Yeah. <laughs> and it really does bypass the part of you that thinks that you don't know because the part yeah. of you that thinks that you don't know is just a protective part of you that's afraid that you're going to go too fast
1: mm. or that you're going to
0: get hurt when you get there. Yeah. So from that point, my my practice has shifted over the years, but it always includes a coming home to myself moment and throughout the day moment meaning like 20 minutes to an hour of me either, either have been seasons of journaling. There have been seasons of like yoga movement practice. I have been, I have a sauna like a little in my closet, infrared sauna. And so lately I've been just doing a sauna and doing like a meditation. Um, and that moves the needle forward in ways that some days feel imperceptible, but always when you look back, you're like, I cannot believe how much farther I am than a year ago. Yeah. Just taking the time to be with yourself every day and learning how to be with your triggers. One of the things that happened was I had, uh, within the last three years, big, big dips. Yeah. Yeah and what i know now is that i have i had been increasing my capacity so much i mean i had moments where i was like i'm totally over all of this i'm so good and right about the time that i would say that i would experience like a huge memory i had memories come up from childhood yeah. i had lots of things and i don't want that to scare anyone i want to i want to be honest and say i've always been open to looking at everything and i've always had support yeah so i wasn't like going rogue you know freaking out trying to hide it i was like okay i have been doing really well and now i feel like i'm falling apart and and it it doesn't make sense that like young parts of us when they see how present and safe we are would be like okay now is it a good time to tell you what happened to me yeah you know a long time Mm. ago and those dips they felt they always felt like even when i had a practice and i was helping clients when we were doing really well you know on different parts of our life and marriage i would have like these really big dips and it felt like i'm losing everything everything's falling apart i'm at the beginning and mm. and it wouldn't feel that way like for a long time but it was a really i've come to find it's a really normal part of the process yeah you a new trigger a new layer comes up And it feels like you're dying. (laughs) But then when you know how to like remember who you are, remember what lights you up, remember who you're connected to, God and other people, then you do come out of it with a new level of healing and a new level of peace. And really like if you want to get somatic, which just means like if you pay attention to your body, you feel so much lighter. Yeah. Um, You don't feel like you're running. You can be more present. So that's something that I feel like um, I would love to normalize for anybody walking through yeah. like their own healing journey. Those dips are real and they're not a sign that you've gone backwards at all. Mm. They're a sign that you actually have what it takes to face, you know, uncomfortable things. Discomfort tolerance is a big part of the journey. And what's crazy is it's way more painful to not feel it than to feel it <laughs> over time. Yeah. But you sort of have to face that you know, feeling of your body being like, we're going to, we're surely going to die now. And it's going to be this time. When, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. So, um, yeah. So, yeah. So that's been my, that's what the last few years have looked like. And slowly building, you know, music projects and building this, this practice that I have and dreaming into the future yeah. have all been kind of what I've done. How has focusing on those things
1: supported you in this healing journey that you've been on and are
0: on. Yeah. Yeah. Anything that I've had an idea for has felt very messy and very uncomfortable for me. Yeah. Um especially coming out of deep depression and that's something maybe I should say if it helps anyone to know. I was diagnosed with depression, anxiety, I had PTSD. Like I wasn't like oh, I was in a funk for a while. Like I was really, yeah. really with a highly impaired nervous system and deep trauma and anxiety and depression. And I always felt like I wanted to heal. This is just personal to me. It's not even anything I recommend or don't recommend, but for me, I always felt like I wanted to heal without antidepressants. Yeah, And, um, I, I've, was on antidepressants, uh, yeah, like eight and a half years ago for a few months. But when I was really going through it, I always felt like I didn't want to get on antidepressants. And I would just write, I'm going to heal so effing hard. That's what <laughs> I, I just decided, I'm going to do this. Yeah. So learning that your dreams, uh, that your healing needs your dreams in order to unfold. Well, then I started dreaming. And what would happen, what dreaming felt like for me was I would have a day when I would feel really good and really safe. And I would have these big, giant dreams. And then I would make the plans to do them. And then the next day when I didn't feel as good or safe, I'd be like, oh my God, what did I do? Like, I can't, I can't do that. That happened to Um, me with music. Yeah. um, Especially. I have always been a singer. I've always wanted to sing. And I made a, I signed a thing to do like a four song EP and get it produced. And I was really excited. I announced it and I could not move forward on that project Mm. at all for There's a lot of things that went wrong with that, but I have, I have put out a few songs now and I have a few coming out and it's so much fun. It's absolutely the thing that I love the most. And that's why it's so incredibly vulnerable. It's the thing that my body is the most protective of um getting hurt when i'm doing the thing that i love the most which by the way will always feel that way if you've have been in high levels of self protection the thing that you actually want to do is the thing that your body will try and talk you out of doing mm. or procrastinate on it which is another protective thing so music is like the it's like the lighthouse in my life it's always calling me forward and it's always calling me um but it's also like the thing that requires so much of my healing because it's the most vulnerable Uh, the podcast was touch and go. Like I, I feel like I had the idea and it was like, even like the title, I just like was driving one day and I was like, Oh, I need, I totally need to do this. I'm going to do this. Somebody was trying to talk me out of the title. they are like, you need, this doesn't make any sense. You should call it something else. I'm like, Oh no. Like I remember thinking like, well, I didn't pick it. It's just what it's supposed to be. But then I'm like, "Well, I did. I mean, I did pick it. So I think that that just is like. Like, it was just like a God dream. Yeah. <laughs> like God was like – It's like when you say it. that the songs just come to you and it's like
1: downloads yes. to yeah. you. It's like one of yes. those kind of moments when you just know, totally. oh, this is it and
0: I don't need to Yeah. overthink it. Totally, which is available to everyone. If anybody doesn't feel like that happens to them, most likely what happens is that it does and they don't trust it. Yeah. So – and that still happens to me too. But, yeah, the, the podcast and then even my practice um, – was something that I just kind of grew and grew. I feel very, very comfortable in now. I feel I love my clients. It's like just a really beautiful part of my life. And I did not see that coming at all. So yeah. Yeah. So how did you know in your healing journey that
1: you were ready to support people in your own practice? Like, was there a moment when you're like, mm. oh, no, this is actually really what I want to do? How, how did that kind of come up for you? It's a good question
0: because I think a lot of people want to wait to feel ready yeah, before they move towards their dreams. Helping people is definitely something to be sensitive about because you have other people's well-being within your um, care, at least in your witness. Yeah. And obviously the healing, the responsibility is there's alone to heal. But um, as you're witnessing people, you want to be sensitive to like, what's the appropriate time to do that? So for me, I had interned with Laura, got certified with the compassion method, which is the healing modality that she created. And then I started meeting with people just for free, just volunteering. Like, I remember somebody came up to me and said, Hey, I heard that you're meeting with people and I was just wondering, like, could I meet with you? How much do you charge? And I remember being like, yeah, totally. (laughs) (laughs) I could totally meet with you and I charge. I don't even remember what I said, but, um, and I just remember almost feeling like the nudge from God, like, Hey, you can like keep going with this. Um, and I knew that I had wanted to at some point. But um, I knew that I was ready because I knew I had a lot of tools and I had a lot of healing underneath me and I could really understand what was happening with people Mm. when they were struggling. And so, yeah, there were also some things that helped me to not feel so high stakes about it. Like the coaching industry is interesting because it's not regulated and a lot can go wrong. There's, There's, you know, can be a lot of lack of integrity when there's no rules. Yeah. But then on the other hand, like there's no rules. So if you are, I think it's important that, you know, the coaches themselves have accountability yeah. within their own lives. But um, beyond that, you can take the thing that you're the most well-versed in, that you're an expert on and, you know, based on your own experience and you can help people through it. And if they want to sit under you and learn from you and yeah, and, and walk through that journey as you witness them and as you support them, then why not? Yeah. So it kind of I think it was intentional and parts of it were organic. And so that to me just says that it was a very co-creative relationship with God yeah. to build to build what this is. And it's had like different iterations of what I'm what I've done um and more more recently I've been kind of working with and targeting artists and creatives and performers specifically yeah. because those are the ones that I relate to the most. That's my area yeah. of expertise, but just as far as my history, but also because I see specifically how, how they're struggling in their creativity. And I think, you know, the world needs the art from healed individuals. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what I feel mm-hmm. passionate about now.
1: Yeah. I love it. It's like blending both of the worlds together in like a really yeah creative way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally. So my last question for you is the question that you ask for every one of your guests. What is something yeah. that you are healing or creating at the moment?
0: Yes. I would say my relationship to my kids and my how I parent them to look for and trust what lights them up is something that I feel like has needed a lot of healing because you know, we're all just until we're conscious of it, just parenting the way that we were parented. Yeah. But and and I love my parents and all of our parents, you know, so many of our parents did the best that they could. But there are so many things that I'm looking at now and rethinking and like, wait, ho- like I'll do something and I'll say something and I'll say, wait, where did I learn that? Or what's the f- What's the belief underneath the way that I'm talking to them or or disciplining mm. them or treating them? And so, I mean, that's that's the parenting journey for sure. I also feel like because so much of my healing journey happened after I had kids. Well, all of it, actually. Yeah. I, my whole entire healing journey happened after I had kids. There are things that I've just been very aware of need extra reinforcing and mm. extra care. And I have room to grow in that area. Just to make sure that I'm doing everything that I can now to notice where the things that were missed in the past aren't missed currently. Yeah. And then I'm creating so many things. So many I, this things. podcast has been like, <laughs> yeah, there's this podcast has been like very surprising in, I don't know, I, I just didn't expect that there would be the reception that it's had, and it's not even like massively, you know, mm. millions of people, but they're, yeah, I don't know. I've just been surprised. I've been surprised at the feedback and the people that it's attracted and then also the the numbers that are coming in. And so that's been really fun. And there's, I have some songs that are coming out this summer and I just recently created a song with a friend who was like, have you ever sung a ballad? We need to write you a ballad. Mm. And we sat down and we wrote uh a ballad for my husband and I, it was like a good stretching, like really, really fun thing to do. So that'll come out in July. So
1: yeah. It's so exciting. I can't wait to hear it. Yes.
0: (laughs) Thanks. I know I'm really excited about it too.
1: Yeah. Well, Courtney, thank you so much for so generously sharing so much of those vulnerable memories and moments and I'm so sure that whoever listens to this will feel that connection to you and then also feel so much hope for their own journey as well I know that I have felt that from you just getting to be around you and witness you and just yeah it's it's just such a beautiful thing to get to do when you feel ready to to share some more of your story and invite people into the journey so thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank you, guys, um, if you've gotten this far. I don't know if we'll edit it out, but I cried like at least three times. And <laughs> just going over your story. So, um, And then thanks to Emily. Emily is so brilliant. You'll probably see her around my profile. Um, where can people find you if they're interested in your work? Yeah, my Instagram is
1: msmith, but the Smith doesn't have the I in it. <laughs> or oh, my website is
0: msmith.co. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Emily, such an amazing, patient, and wonderful consultant herself, mm. and would be an excellent option for anybody looking for support. Well, thank you so much for listening, everyone. And we hope that this was hopefully encouraging for you to hear. And we just wish you all the support and all the love as you continue on your own journey. Bye. Bye.